You are now listening to Conscientization 101, an online magazine combining reflection, music, and action through independent media. It's uh, very important to be with conscious African women and men. And I'm very excited to see Conscientization 101, to see Sister Zari there and the brother James and uh, to see that you have started an organization to conscientize the world, especially African people about what's really going on in this world. Conscientization 101. A lot of these people right now in this conscious, so-called conscious movement, they're not actually living in that, in that lifestyle. Fakers. That's why, you know, obviously yourself, we're on the same sort of frequency. That's why you're listening to the same things I'm listening to because we're sharing that same sort of thought. We want the same sort of things and a lot of people don't want the same sort of things. Even yourself, what you're doing now is for the people. So everything is people-based. Globally conscientizing. What's making me proud of what um, this kind of connection here is that, you know... Well, no matter what is said, no matter what is done, um, you, you leave that, you leave listening to our music with a feeling. The same way we're going to leave this conversation with a feeling. And um, that is the most important thing you know, for, for I and I, the, the vibe and the energy and the feeling that you leave with. Because you might not remember every lyric, but you're going to remember the feeling. So um, that's, 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 that's really important, and that's what I'm getting from what you're doing. Doing, doing, doing. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Conscientization 101 Podcast. I'm your host for this episode. Senior Editor for Conscientization 101, James Stone. And today, we are continuing with our digitally remastered presentation titled, titled, Dr. Amos Wilson Dr. Amos on Wilson Feel on Good Feel History, Good History. Part, two Part 2 of 3, of three. From, our from our Ideo, Ideo Praxis, Praxis Series. series. Ideo Praxis a term coined by a renowned African scholar and author, Ayikwe Oma, means, quote, the translation of ideas systematically embraced into structured behavior and lifestyle. Ideopraxis is the yardstick that separates revolutionary performers from phonies, end quote. From Remembering the Dismembered Continent by Ayikwe Oma, pages 75 through 76. And with this term in mind, we created our Ideopraxis series. And our Ideopraxis series is an extension of our Conscientization 101 produced tracks from our free gift musical commentaries featuring Dr. Marimbai Lee, Dr. Amos Wilson, and Dr. John Henry Clark. These podcast episodes include lectures we have curated and digitally remastered from each of these African scholars in order to preserve these critical insights and analysis in the wake of an increasingly restrictive and controlled YouTube. Also, we will link the free gift um, musical commentary in our show notes, and we play them at the beginning of each one of these different African scholars' uh, presentations that we 
digitally remastered and curated. So, you will have access to that if you haven't already downloaded them, but you should already downloaded them. Downloaded them. Now, this episode, part two of this three-part series, part two, Dr. Wilson will be discussing the following. Following. The social fiction of individualism, culture and identity, why multicultural education must be rejected for African-centered education, and much more, much more. We got a lot of ground to cover. Let's get this show on the road. On, 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 Conscientization 101's Audio Praxis Series. Dr. Amos Wilson on Feel Good History Part 2. Socially, cultural, culture patterns the ways in which its members relate to each other, interact with each other, perceive each other, and the ways they organize, develop, institutionalize, and apply their human potential in order to adapt to the conditions in which they live to satisfy psychological and social survival needs. Ultimately, as I said again and again, culture is about solving problems. But we're going to learn, as I've indicated before, solving problems in a cultural way, creating power in a cultural way, requires relating to each other in a particular sort of way. Implies interacting with each other in a particular sort of way and perceiving each other in a particular sort of way. I've indicated under other circumstances that individuals do not have power Power is the result of the nature of social relations between people. The way people choose to interact with each other makes power. If you don't believe it, you can go back a few years and see how little white boys could order grown black men around. Were they big enough to beat them? Were they big enough? Did they have enough power to knock them down? No, they didn't. But it was because those little white kids were in a, what, structured framework and had behind them, what, a set of structures and strategies that because white people had chosen to relate to each other in a particular way and interact with each other in a particular way and interact with us in a particular way, even a white child could come out and express power over black folk. But the power was not what? inherent in the child but it was inherent in the culture and inherent in how that culture was designed and structured and it's out of this and this is what I've told you before about an economic system an economic system is not the mere existence of money economic systems existed prior to money money as an instrument of economy has come late in the history of man. And yet we've had economies for hundreds and thousands of years before money came into existence. So ultimately then, uh, uh, an economy must have something to do with the way people choose to cooperate with each other and relate to each other. It is out of this that an economy develops. And it's out of this that power develops. You see, so if you have a culture, the culture is going to provide patterns 
of relating and interacting. These, it's these patterns of relating and interacting that permits a people who belong to a culture to solve the problems that confront them. So you see, again, it's just not something is the sister indicate that you wear, you see, or the speech that you make, you see. It ultimately has to be about relating in a particular structured sort of way. This is what culture is socially. It is very important to keep in mind that a culture is, a, to a significant extent, a historical product. Let's talk a second about identity. Identity is the social and personal outcome of the, uh, our product of an identification process. According to Bandura, this identification process is a process in which new responses are acquired and existing repertoires of behaviors are modified to some extent as a result of subjection to of, uh, direct or indirect conditioning procedures. All cultures condition the people that belong to them. All cultures ultimately must have some means of rewarding and punishing behavior. And that's another thing we don't want to face, you know. We want everybody to do right just because the means doing right. And this is what I said earlier when we talk about these conspiracies and these the boule. You're not going to win this game if you don't have a means of neutralizing people and rewarding people, you see, and controlling people. The reason why, as I've often said, the very first thing that we must do if we are to transform our children is to get control of them. Yeah. And we must become their primary rewarders and punishers. We must determine the conditions under which they are socialized if we want to create the kinds of people we need to solve our problems. You are not going to solve your problems giving it the control of your children over to other people. And yet we sit around here hoping every day after pushing our children and ourselves into the faces of white folk, into the faces of our enemies, that these people by luck or some means will happen to be the kind of people we need for ourselves. The very point and process of education is to create the people you need for your benefit. And if a culture is going to educate your children, it then will educate them to benefit whom? Itself, not you. Not you. You must bring your children under your own control. And you must be in control of the conditioning process. This is what it's about. If you don't have control of that, then really you're not going to have control of the children. Because identification, identification with a culture, becoming cultured or enculturated, is a part, is the result of a culture approving and disapproving, of rewarding and not rewarding, and of sometimes even punishing to ultimately shape the individual in a way that it benefits the culture and ultimately the individual, him or herself. And this is what identity is about. The, it's about patterning, the patterning of thoughts, feelings, and actions at the other persons who serve as models. You even learn to love. You know, we think that love is something natural, just flows out of us automatically. And yet we have a number of cultures who did not base marriage and these other things, as I've told you before, on romantic love. 
Mm-mm. Even romantic love is taught and learned. Yeah. Yeah. People are taught how to feel. And we do it all the time. You shouldn't feel that way. <laughs> you should feel ashamed of yourself for thinking this way, for behaving this way. And we're so unconscious, we don't even recognize it, you see. But we are doing what? We are dictating what? Feelings, thoughts, emotions. What is love? The kids hear it all day long in their records, right? The chill run up my spine. I can't get him out of my mind. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I can't. But all this is what? Defining what? This is the way you feel if you're in what? If you're in love, you see? And when you got that feeling, then you can do some other things. <laughs> you know, and you can, you know, make all kind of commitments based on that. But many cultures have built marriage and, and family and other things on different um, modes of thinking and behavior other than that. And when you study the history of romantic love, when this type of, of love approach and this type of approach for building families and so forth first started coming up, there were many people who thought it was just a sign of madness, of sickness, of a precarious basis upon which to build family and culture, you see. But what we're trying to illustrate here is that culture, to a good extent, through its conditioning processes and other processes, through providing models, helps people to pattern their ways of thinking and feeling and behaving and pattern attitudes. Both the conditioning procedures and contingencies and the models are provided by culture. And of course, we recognize that this is one of our major problems today, that often the models that we want to to exhibit before ourselves and our children, and often the means by which we can reward our children's behavior have not been placed in our hands. That another culture has control of the conditioning mechanism and has control of the models that our by which our children are socialized. We must recognize again then, if we are serious about enculturating our people and enculturating our children, then we must gain the means by which we have to condition their enculturation. We must gain the capacity to reward, to punish, and to reinforce, to model the kind of behavior for our, for our children and ourselves that we need to model. Identity is achieved when, as a result of having undergone the identification process, the individual comes to perceive himself as possessing a distinct and unique character our personality, as being a person in his own right, as being able to answer the questions to his own satisfaction, who am I, what am I, and what do I do with my life? Identity to the extent that it is a cultural product, and identity is a cultural product, and I want to emphasize this because, you see, in this society, we stress individualism. And I try to get across to people all the time that in reality there's no such thing as an individual. That is a social fiction. It is a type of label we use, but it does not exist in reality. That the individual, the thing that we call an individual, is really a synthesis of social experience. 
a unique combination of our having interacted with others and having undergone social experiences. And it's our unique way of expressing our social relations and our experiences. But who we are and what we are is the result of social relations. It is not something that is completely what? Unique to us and not shared on some level with others. The very fact that you speak a language means that you, uh, you, have, you have a shared identity on some level. If you were completely individual, no one would be able to understand what you were saying. You see? You, you could not fit into what? An ordered system and in an, an ordered society. If you want to imagine to be, a, you can be a complete individual if you are in space all by yourself. But then what would be the point? <laughs> it would have no what? No meaning. It would be pointless. Even the concept of individual can only achieve its definition within a social structure. It only has meaning within a social structure and within in terms of relating socially to someone else. Otherwise, it is pointless. It is the social that creates the individual, not the other way around. And yet those who rule over us, you see, could have us think that we can be individuals in and of ourselves and by ourselves without any connection whatsoever to anyone else. And in that way, of course, it can maintain the disunity of our culture and maintain our disunity as a people and ultimately destroy us as a people. So identity is a cultural product. It is the incarnation of, the, of a cultural ideology, ecology, and of cultural practice. Identity is culture made flesh. Identity is an instrument for the expression of cultural power. Yes. When an individual identifies with a culture, and remember we said culture is ultimately contained what? In us. Then the individual becomes the what? Instrument of that culture. You see? And this is what I tried to tell you some lectures ago when I talked about manhood, right? When I told you that manhood is a social definition and to be a man is to be socially defined so that in expressing what it means to be a man, in defend, defending one's manhood, one also does what? Expresses one's culture and defends what? The culture. And in defending the honor of one's manhood, one defends what? The honor of the culture and the honor of the people. And therefore, ultimately, manhood is an expression of the culture, not of a chauvinistic wish on the part of a male, it is not to be defined in isolation and detached from the needs of the culture itself. That when manhood becomes defined, detached from the needs of the culture itself, detached from the needs of people itself, when boys are not trained into men relative to the culture, then these boys will prey upon the culture and destroy the culture. And this is a part of what we have in so-called black-on-black violence. Boys who've been brought into manhood in ways that are detached from African culture and African people. 
you see, who have not engaged in training in an organic relationship to their Africanness. And therefore, since they are not socially divine, defined, they then become antisocial in their behavior. So ultimately, you see, an identity and a personality is a cultural instrument. And it is through this identity and through this personality that the culture expresses itself and the culture is perpetuated and the culture has an impact on the world and the culture expresses itself as power and defends itself as a culture but if it defends itself as a culture it defends its members as people as well you see but when people are detached from a culture they stand alone and they are undefended. They become vulnerable. And others now destroy them one by one, here and there. And ultimately, a whole of a people are wiped out. Thus, identity, self-concept, are products and instrumentalities as much, if not more, political, economic entities than social, psychological entities. What am I saying here again? We're used to seeing identity as a psychological concept. You see, we talk about my identity as if it belongs to what? Me only. You see, my personality, my this. No, no, ultimately we must recognize that our personalities and our identities are to a good extent instrumentalities for our culture. But the thing that we want to recognize more so than this is that identity, self-concept, what we call the self and personality, are as much political and economic entities as they are social and psychological entities. In other words, identity, even in a diffused state, is a political economy, an organization of interests, tastes, desires, passions, ideals, motives, values, etc., the pursuit of and the satisfaction of which maintains social power relations, social prerogatives, the integrity of the social, political, economic system, the cultural status quo. What am I saying here? The culture in inculcating particular values in people, in inculcating particular desires in people, and they don't, see, the culture doesn't inculcate into you the desire for what? Everything does it. No, it says what? You should desire this and not that. This is desirable, but this is horrible. You know, this you should be interested in that you don't have to worry about. You see, this you should feel strongly about that you shouldn't have to worry about. You see, this you should strive to be. These are the ideals we wish you would actualize. This you don't have to try to strive to be. As a matter of fact, you can reject this. This is where you should try to go. These are the goals that we approve of. The others, we don't. Now, when a, so a culture then organizes these values, these ideals, these interests, and so forth. This is a part of our cultural identity. Such that when you pursue the satisfaction of these desires, when you pursue the actualization of the cultural ideals, 
when you pursue the interest that the culture has inculcated in you, what do you do then? By doing this, you maintain what? The culture itself. You see? And many of those things are political, and many are economic. In other words, if a culture tells you that eating a certain food is the right thing to do, and this is what we're about, and eating this food is central and important to our culture, then believe it or not, there's going to be a system of production to do what? Produce what? That food. A system of what? Distribution as well, you see. And a whole system of economic what? Relations, you see. So therefore, this taste, even the taste for food, or certain interests, when you pursue them, maintain a social system and maintain an economic system. And if the structure of that culture, if, the, if it's a class culture, a class structure, and if that structure is built on wealth and the accumulation of wealth and the control of the means of production by certain people, your pursuit of those cultural tastes helps to maintain the structure of that culture. Am I getting through? Am I putting you to sleep? <laughs> Hang in with me. Hang in with me, please. <laughs> okay. It's very important that we get this in mind. Because without this theory and understanding this, you're going to go blindly into the training of young Mars and the training of, of, your, of your young girl. You're going to take them through the rituals and everything, but they're going to still have European taste and, Europe and desire European things. And they still pursue European ideals and all that, even with their kente on. And despite then, and, and, and their superficial behavior, if those tastes and interests and passions and so forth are not also transformed in particular directions, despite their superficial attachment to African culture, they will continue to perpetuate their oppression and maintain the system that they think they're trying to get out from, you see? And, it, and this is why you have to understand this theoretical thing, so that you know where you're going when you're talking about educating these children African-centrically, you see. This is why you ultimately are going to have to reject multiculturalism and understand that it's African-centeredness that must be taught to our children, not multiculturalism. Multiculturalism says, all right, everybody's cultures, okay, you know, Pollyanna. Oh, you got a culture, I got a culture, all God's children got a culture. Don't, don't, you know, oh, you know. So, you know, it's all right, you can taste from this one, you can taste from that one, you buy from this one, you buy from that one, which is exactly what black folk are doing right now. You see, and therefore what? Keeping other people's families alive, keeping them out of crime, keeping them well housed, you know, and all the things we're doing because we have not controlled our what? taste and interest and evolve them in ways that they advance our culture and us as a people. Please get rid of multiculturalism. And it makes you believe every culture is all right. Here you are suffering from European culture and now you're going to, you know, it's all right. You can't put one down and put the other one up. I mean, Europeans amuse me anyway talking about their cultural traditions and what great traditions they have brought to the world. <laughs> <laughs> the tradition is what you do. 
Yeah. And it's an insult as an African man to have Europeans talk about their great tradition. You may talk about your philosophy, but that's not your tradition. You may talk about your religion, but that's not your tradition. Or if it is your tradition, then no matter how beautiful it sounds, I must reject it. Because it enslaved me. It oppressed me. And the whole old bit, you see. So, uh, and I don't care how sweet it sounds and how logically it is put together uh, or how literate it may be. The ultimate thing is, what, in what way does it express itself in relationship to me and my people? And if this is the outcome of European tradition, then that tradition must be rejected. You must understand, ladies and gentlemen, what Europeans call great tradition goes hand in hand with their capacity to kill. You know, the Germans, I couldn't understand. You know, we were the literary people and we were the, you know, this and that. But that's, all, but that's one of the reasons why you were able to kill the way you did. Because that was also in there as well. Fuck Steve Harvey, fuck Paula D, fuck Charles Barkley, fuck the mainstream. How the fuck you saying sorry to the white bitch team, but the greater don't apologize to these black queens. Fuck Iggy Azalea, fuck rap magazines, fuck white folk money, fuck Jimmy Iovine. Niggas got diabetes, fuck cake, fuck cream, fuck the edited version, fuck keeping shit clean. Fuck Dan Wilson and fuck how that sound, that fuck didn't give a fuck about Mike Brown. Fuck Grand Jewels, fuck Sundown Town, fuck feeling sympathetic when a cop shot down. Fuck concentrated poverty, apartheid scores, fuck CNN, fuck corporate news. Fuck diamond and fuck cracker ass pens Fuck a piece of white people Fuck elephants in the room Giuliani, Bill O'Reilly, Fox News George Pataki, Chris Christie, Sarah Palin Michelle Blackman, Rush Limbaugh Trying to be the first black anything here Fuck Mabel, fuck men, fuck you and your queer peers Fuck a tea party full of salty ass crackers Fuck anything spoken from a dumbed down rapper Fuck niggas who think money make a dumb nigga snort Fuck crackers who pay the net the back when assholes talk Fuck over for being scared of what whites might think If she open a school here to teach young black queens Fuck beats and fuck Drake for giving 35 million to a school Full of overfed rich white children Fuck integration and fuck the leading blacks Fuck capitulation sincerely, fuck that Fuck Eminem, fuck culture appropriators Fuck Macklemore, fuck children of slave trade Fuck Democrats and fuck Republicans Fuck America and the Republic for which it stands Jefferson, Abe Lincoln, Richard Nixon, Lyndon Johnson, Ronald Reagan, both Bushes, Barack Obama Niggas who try to blame Mike Brown for his own death Fuck cops who taste kids in the face for petty theft Fuck the cop that shot Ayala Jones as she slept Fuck cops who murder blacks with whites they make arrests Fuck Reagan and the prison industrial complex Fuck a war on drugs and fuck being oppressed Fuck the ICC and the 
not him yet. Fuck your kleptocracy, fuck your codified death. Fuck every single one of you haters of black flesh. Fuck your fuck England, fuck the entire West. Fuck devils on the right, fuck devils on the left. Wait for me to give a fuck, don't hold your fucking breath. Fuck fear in the police, fuck changing the way I dress. If black lives matter, fuck a peaceful protest. Fuck more body cam, fuck sensitivity training. Fuck marching and complaining the crisis who ain't changing. Viacom, BET, MTV, Universal, Warner Brothers, Interscope, Sony Music. Look at Elijah Muhammad, a misunderstood person. Yeah, misunderstood. Because again, sometimes we, we are so right-brained, we let our dislike or disapproval of certain of his behaviors overshadow our capacity to see what gifts he brought us as a people. And to come to really understand what this man was about and the greatness of what he created in the nation of Islam. Yeah. Because we let a series of events get to us so much, we want to throw the baby out with the washwater. You see. But what was he doing? He recognized, too, that cultural identity, religious identity, were as political as they were psychological were as economical as they were psychological, you see. And he recognized then that he had to also change the taste of black people and change their what? Interest as well. Their emotions and their what? Feelings as well. And a part of that change was projection of the white man is demon mythology which was very functional and real. <laughs> but very functional. See, I've told you a lot of people think, oh, well, that wasn't the truth. This wasn't the point. It wasn't the point. It amazes me now. You know, someone mentioned the Tuskegee experiments. These whites are going to tell all the truth now. Now that they got the what? The world, what? Wrapped up. But in wrapping it up, they projected the what? The myth. Because the myth, the major function of the myth is to organize people. To organize a people's perception of themselves, to, to give them a sense of destiny and commonality. To arrange their social relations in such a way so that they could achieve particular points and particular ends. And it's not that they didn't know the Egyptians might have been African. It was in their literature. That's a lot of where we got it from, isn't it? <laughs> but at the point where a mythology of Africans as being uncultured served to organize them and create a unity among themselves and served to create a set of relations that permitted them to make a conquest of the globe, they projected that mythology. And it was a powerful one. Now that they think they have it made, they say, well, yeah, you were Egyptians, weren't you? 
Oh, yeah, we did give you TB down there. You know, what are you going to do about it? Oh, now we're becoming honest folk, you know. But what happened? No banks are changing hands. No means and ownership of production are changing hands. No real control of your destiny is changing hands. But you're multicultural now. We have greater understanding and truth. Mm -mm. It's got to go deeper than that. You got to do more than tell the truth. You're going to reparate yourself. We're going to take these reparations from you. You can admit we're Egyptians if you want to, but it's not the end of it. Mm -mm. No way. And we as black people can't fall for the okie doke. Oh, they say we're Egyptian. Ain't that wonderful? Oh, they're saying that we're this and we're that. Isn't that nice? Uh-uh. Now, you see, because now we're moving toward multiculturalism, right? Suddenly we're going to see them all as nice and sweet and wonderful. But what? The actual power relations that run the world will do what? Be exactly what? The same. As a matter of fact, we will even support them now because we feel so good about ourselves. Elijah Muhammad then sought to change taste. So when he had you eating that bean pie, you see, it was a different kind of thing. And eating once a day, wearing a different type of clothes, you see. It was just not an imposition of tyranny. That's what the other people would like to tell you. Even though they were tyrannizing you far worse than Elijah Muhammad was doing, if you want to call it that. But what? If we demonize the Europeans, we wean our people from the pursuit of things, what? European. You see? If we then create new tastes and tastes for which we can produce, you see, now the person in pursuing their taste will produce for their own nation and economically what? support the nation. In other words, your money follows your interests. Your money follows your tastes. Your money follows your what? Passions. And one of the major powers that this culture has is to create tastes, passions, and interests in African people. And this is what Eurocentric culture is about the organizing of African tastes, interests, and passions, so that in our pursuit of those interests and passions, in our attempt to satisfy them, we carry the Europeans all of our money, and we impoverish ourselves looking for the better life and the better feeling. Therefore, the Europeans have all the products for which they've created a taste in us. And then other immigrants come in and get the products under their control. And we as African people then support and feed all of them while we starve our own children. <laughs> and consequently, you see, our children have learned often that the only way they can get money out of our pocketbooks is to knock us in the head and take it. That's right. Because they're not going to get they're not, they're not going to get it by what investing and spending in a planned sort of way, and following tastes that have been created within our own culture and our own so forth and so on. 
because we have told them that buying things European and pursuing things European and so forth was what it means to be alive and to, to be real and to be free and a whole bit. And yet, it's the pursuit of those very things that has imprisoned us and will maintain us in prison. This is why I've told you many times before that we will f be most enslaved when we feel freest. Yes, we will be most impoverished when we feel wealthy. Because as soon as we get the money, we're going to do what? Take it somewhere else and impoverish ourselves. At the moment we feel free to buy everything we want to, we're going to buy it from whom? Others. And they will use that wealth to maintain our oppression as a people. You see? So this is why we must understand here the relationship between uh, uh, culture and identity. We must understand that culture itself is an instrument of power. Some people criticize Elijah Muhammad for calling Islam black Muslim, a black Islam. But there's a, there's a purpose there. It's unorthodox. Islam is not a racist religion. Even though all I see are doggone Arabs hanging up there in North Africa. And I don't see any equal sharing between African Africans and Arab Africans in the heart of Islam. I don't give a hoot what you say about how universal it is. Show it to me in practice. And I don't see it in practice. And you'll learn something very clear. These Europeans and these other groups are going to lay all kind of universal bullshit on your head. as a way of, of maintaining you in slavery. Yes. In fact, the best way to enslave a Negro is to get him universal. Yeah. I'm for all people. That means he can't be for himself. He even feels guilty about being for himself. Yeah, you tell him, look, let's act in terms of who we are. Oh, no, no, I'm for all people. Which means I can't commit myself to what? To anyone else. But you see, when other people have already got the scheme set up, it does what you offer doesn't work for all people though. It seems to always go to what? Particular people. Because I've said, you see, we are absolutists. You see, we believe that if we know the truth and hear the truth, that's the only thing we must believe. And I've told you before, in terms of the Christian theology here, that Africans did not come to America as Christians. I don't care how much you shout and kick over benches. <laughs> you gotta understand that. Your African and our African ancestors did not come to America as what? Christians. And it's very important to recognize that. Does that impute Christianity? No, I'm not about attacking Christianity. I'm not about attacking the reality of Christ or your sincerity. This is not what this is about. You must, though, ask the question, who taught you Christianity? And why did they teach it to you? In other words, you must ask what? Functional questions. How does your teaching me this work for you? And how does it work for me? Even though what I believe you're saying is true and absolutely true, my believing it and your believing the same thing brings about what? Two different consequences. So while the principle you're teaching is universal and absolutely true, 
given the context in which this is operating, in the context of the fact that you have all the money and you have all the power, my believing this is going to what? Help you to do what? Maintain your money and your power and maintain my weakness. So you can't just fall for an idea simply because it's universal and absolutely true. You've got to look at it within the context in which that idea is being projected. And you've got to look at it in terms of who is believing it. Because the idea will generate effects based on the context in which it operates, not in and of itself. You see? And this is what has happened to black folk who've, who've taken up other religions and had those other people say, you know, you just believe this, and this is true, this is universally true. This has nothing to do with race, and Islam is not a racist religion. That's fine when the Arabs own what? Everything. And that means then that I won't perceive the Arab as, as a race, right? Even though it was just by coincidence, all of his race owns everything, has everything. <laughs> then I'll be made to feel guilty for even thinking in terms of what? My race. Even though my children are, are going hungry, they're robbing me at night, terrorizing the community, and the whole bit, it's wrong for me to think of them as race uh, and think in terms of them as a people and so forth because I believe in this universal principle. And yet it is the inequality of wealth and the inequality of power and all kinds of inequalities that are what? Creating the problem. But because I am not allowed to see these inequalities in terms of race, you see, even though when we see the victims of them, the race is quite apparent, I cannot transform this situation. You gotta be careful with this game, ladies and gentlemen. Because this is the kind of game people run on you all the time. You see, whenever people bring you universal truths, whenever they bring you, you know, these great brotherhood ideas, you must ask yourself how believing this is going to function for you. And given your power, and given this or given this, how is it going to function for you and how is it going to function for me? These fighters went over the world talking about the invisible hand in the laissez-faire economy, you know. Or they come up with some stupidity like, we are all God's children, we are all one, we are all human. Nationalism is wrong, we shouldn't uh, discriminate according to border. People should be able to invest wherever they feel like investing, you know. And uh, people should take advantage of opportunities wherever they arise. Now that sounds so nice and neat, doesn't it? And it is. I have no problem with that. Except, though, you got to move beyond that. You got to look at who's saying it, and if I believe it, what's going to happen? Now, the Europeans said this because they had all the what? The money. You see? So when they convinced our people to believe in free markets and open markets and reject nationalism, we all got children, we all won, and, and therefore all markets should be open for investment, regardless as to who you invest. The deal is, if they had all the money, they're going to end up owning all the land. They're going to end up owning all of the means of production with your consent, with your moral consent, <laughs> you see? And then you're going to wonder if God is cursing you, if something is wrong. You have to understand Then you can't just let people lay an idea on you, a universal concept, a universal religion, and a universal this, and then assume that all is well. You've got to look at reality. So if it's so damn universal, spread that damn money around. <laughs> Universal. 
You believe people should invest wherever they fit? Well, let's first even up the money, and then we, then we can invest cross borders and all over the other place. But now you insist on holding on to your money, you see, and then and you believe in what? Private property and all this stuff, and you're going to convince me not to look racially or nationally, and this allows you then to what? Maintain control. And this is the game that we're in. So people say, well, Elijah, you know, you, you're a black Muslim. We, you, we don't believe in blackness. No, 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 ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Jesus says, what? Man, uh, man is not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for whom? For man. Ultimately, religion is not made just to be served by man, but, but what? The religion must what? Serve man. God is not only to be served. But God also must serve the people. Oh, yeah, I know. You think you never told you should lay out on your face and roll and, and carry on. No way. No way. There is a what? Contract. There is a covenant. It's in your Bible. The Israelites had a what? Covenant between God and themselves. There was an agreement there that what? I do for you and what? You do for me, man. It's not just about laying down, praying, and do whatever you want to the Lord. <laughs> and if you read Moses, and if you read it, you will see going on between Moses and God, constant what? Negotiation. In fact, that's what you find, I find so fascinating about reading the Exodus story. Hey, this man sits down and negotiates. You remember that time? You know, they get near the board and they start hollering and screaming, talking about they were better off than slavery. And they wanted to go back to Egypt, and they, you know they were about to hang Moses. They were within an inch of hanging Moses. You know Moses nearly got hung several times. You know a lot of people don't read this thing very well at all. He was not seen as some holy man with a halo above him. These people didn't see Moses that way at all. They got at him. They got so out of hand until God said, "Let me just strike these people with a thunderbolt and wipe them from the face of the earth." Yeah. And then Moses started doing what? Negotiating with him. And even reminded God, what? Hey, wait a minute now. Remember, you bought about here on the promise, right? <laughs> yeah. And you said that you had a what? Promised land for them and so forth and so forth and this for them. How are you going to look if all of a sudden you get out here and destroy these people and go in a sense against your word? Oh, yeah, you're right, Moses. <laughs> yeah, I did say that. Read it. You don't have to believe me as your preacher tell you. Read the Bible. It's right there. Because a negotiation there. What? There's a service between the two things, not just one-way street. And so in black Muslims, in the black nation of Islam, Islam is used also to do what? Serve black folk. You must understand that. As soon as you remove the blackness from it, and blackness has no relevance to it, it loses its capacity to serve our interests. And more often than not, it will serve the interests of Arabs and serve the interests of other people because it will not change the pre-existing social economic power relationship. You see? And you have to understand that. Elijah understood it very well. You see? So no, no, no. We're going to make it black because we want it to what? Serve black. A racial identity 
and ethnic identity is not a mere way of identifying yourself by a word or a label. It is not mere, it is not a mere designation of ethnic characteristics, nor just a designation of people who may uh, uh, look alike to some degree or share a similar area or share, share a particular area. Ultimately, an ethnic identity is a prescription for behaving, for relating to each other in a particular way, for seeing yourself and seeing each other and seeing the world and relating to God and relating to nature and relating to everything else in the world so that it operates in the interest of the group. Must understand that. In the racial uh, designation or identity is a prescription for action, is a prescription for relating. And in the nation of Islam, when it was black Islam, it means blacks who were Muslims would relate to other blacks in a particular sort of way so that it would benefit blacks who were Muslims. And that's the result of it. Changing their taste, changing the diet, changing the values, and so forth. And what do you mean there then? Since the taste changed, the money that flowed out of the nation of Islam, pursuing the taste created by other people did what? Flowed back in. Flowed back in. And it means then that money created what we call an accumulation of capital within the nation. It created in many ways a savings on the part of the people. Because the two, three, four thousand dollars that they would spend buying junk and garbage and other kind of crap now was saved, and that saving now could be used to be invested in businesses, to be invested in schools, could be invested in education, and the other kinds of things they needed to do for themselves. And that accumulation of wealth was also an investment in power in a society where wealth and power are often correlated. Am I getting through? I know you're getting a little rest. I'm going to let you go in a minute. Let you go in a minute. You see, and we have to understand what went on here. I create your taste for beans. I create your taste for this. And because I do, I'm going to make the pie for you, right? We make the pie what? For ourselves. So now you eat the pie, but now, and you spend the money, and that goes back, and we can buy what? Farms. And now we can do what? Grow the beans. You see, we can create the what? canneries. We can now build a what? A whole system of production based on the reorganization of taste and the reorganization of interests. You see, this is what African-centered education is about, ladies and gentlemen. It's not merely about the teaching of African culture or of African history. That's only a part of it. It is about the transformation of the personality the transformation of social relations among African people. Ultimately, it is about economic and political development. Ultimately, it is about power. Ultimately, it is about freeing the black mind to move in the world, to be powerful in the world, you see, to produce for self and to enhance African wealth and to enhance the African status in the world. This is what it's about, and it's deeper even than this. Let's keep this in mind, and I'll bring it to a close here. When you're talking about black culture in America, 
When you even talk about African culture in Africa, you must recognize and you must ask yourself, what is the political economy of the oppressed black culture? In other words, remember our personality is, is a political economic structure. Particularly, and, and therefore, if we let another people shape our personalities and shape our cultures, those cultures and personalities will operate to maintain their system and their dominance. So while we may praise black culture in America and African culture in Africa and in the diaspora, we must also ask ourselves the question, what is the political economy of these cultures and what are the various personal and social identities these cultures produce and to whose end? We must recognize that the basic identities of the oppressed are largely socially manufactured by their oppressors culture and related social practices. And to a good extent, what we call black culture in America today, even though it has deep African roots and African history still buried in it, is still related to and incarnations of Europe-centric culture. And we've got to recognize this and deal with it. We just can't praise it un, uh, unabashedly. We must look at the degree to which what we see as black culture today is an instrumentality of European culture. And I mean this in the real sense. And, and an instrumentality of European power to the point of where African men and women actually fight in combat for European interests. You see, because of the way we have what? defined ourselves as men and women, and even as a way we have sought to try to define black culture in America, you see. And now we have our own people on the soil of Africa. And now we have a, a, a man, Colin Powell, plotting out and designing the program for Europeans to maintain dominance over African people. Yes, because we've defined our Africanness in a peculiar way. Black male identity is hooked into this thing as well, which is one reason why we have a lot of problems today. The reclamation of our male youth and our female youth requires an appropriate, thorough, pragmatic, critical analysis, cultural analysis of the deculturation and reculturation of African Americans and their social products as represented by black male identities and female identities. It's not enough for us to show how we were decultured during the diaspora and slavery and so forth. It's very important for us to understand how we were recultured and reorganized. We are not uncultured simply because we don't have African culture. You see, we have been what? Recultured and rearranged and restructured. You see, and we must understand in depth how that restructuring took place and how it expresses itself in us and in the way we relate to each other. You see, because it is this reculturation ultimately that we must do what? We must reconstruct. We must tear down. We must remove outside of ourselves. So it's not enough to say what we have been missing as a people. Or how African culture what? taken away from our people, but we must come to understand how we have been newly created by another people. And how does that new creation under their power represents itself 
in our personalities and in our social lives, in the way we think, in the way we behave, in the way we perceive the world, in the way we relate to each other and the whole bit. Because it's, it's with that understanding that you design an educational curriculum for African children. You see, you're not just going to teach them history and culture. You're not just going to raise their self-esteem. That's, not, that's just the beginning. You got to say, uh-uh, because you can feel good and still be Eurocentric, you know, and you can still, you can have high self-esteem and still be Eurocentric as well, you know. <laughs> yeah, so there's a whole nother process going on. This is why the multicultural curriculum <clears throat> is not sufficient. It is not just a matter of teaching us to respect other people's culture and to look at and accept cultural differences. African people are in a process of reculturation and a process of reconstruction as a people, you see. It's not a situation where the Chinese say, well, you didn't teach my culture uh, in the schools, even though my culture has maintained continuity for the last 10,000 years, you see. And even though I still speak Chinese, I still eat Chinese food, I still buy from Chinese restaurants, I still do almost everything, what? Chinese. Now I just want you to respect my culture. But that's, that's not where the African people what? You have a cultural discontinuity. You have cultural what? Trauma. Yes, you have a whole reconstruction to undergo. And therefore, a little Pollyanna multicultural education cannot meet the needs of African people. Even African people on the continent are in a, in a process of what? Reconstruction and redesign. You understand? So no light course in, in, in dancing with other people and, 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 and that kind of stuff is going to uh, uh, do what we need. Not at all. The reclamation of our, it requires then, the reclamation of our male youth requires an appropriate, thorough, pragmatic, cultural analysis of the deculturation and reculturation of African Americans and their social products as represented by black male and female identities. How these identities whether considered pro-social or anti-social. I've told you on another occasion that a great enemy to the black community is the good black person. <laughs> yes, is the law-abiding black person. Yes, oh yes. In fact, we're in this mess because of law-abiding good black people. Yes, what did I tell you? These youngsters that you want to damn in so many ways did not create the world that they live in. They were born and they are reared in the world that we created. That adults, what? Created. They are not making the ghettos. They are not making the joblessness and unemployment. They are not making the poor schools and poor and miseducation. They are not doing and creating these things. It is who? Us, us, black adults, African adults, and to a great extent, it is us law-abiding and good ones. It is, it is us ones who don't see color. Yeah, it is us who want to be loved by Koreans, want to be loved by Arabs, want to have racial harmony. Want peace between the sisters and the brothers all over this land. Do you have your mind? <laughs> and yet you can't have peace in your own house. You can't have peace in your own neighborhood. 
You can't have peace in your own streets. And it's just so Negroish. Really. He's going to solve the problem of all the people before he can solve his own. Yeah. He's going to have the great mosaic and he can't even get his own piece together. But this is the role the world has set for us so everybody can sucker us, you see. Yeah, that's what all it's about. And what, what, what people in the world are going to have any confidence in your capacity to work for all men when you haven't demonstrated your capacity to do what? Work for yourself. I'm qualified to solve all men's problems. Solve your own problem, man. You haven't solved your problem yet. In fact, we don't need you to solve our problem. We're doing quite well. We're rich, we're powerful, we're in control, we got great armies, and you want to solve our problem? Yeah, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing, but you know, again, what did I tell you? In order for us to be in the condition we're in, we have to be what? Backwards. We have to com be completely returned around. And we have to go in the very opposite of the way we should go as people. We have to forget our first impulse and change this thing around a bit, you see. We must understand here, and it is the pro-social ones. They feel good. I can spend my money where I want to, but why do you only want to spend it with other people then? <laughs> I live wherever I want to, then why do you want to live with only other people then? And watch the Negro, as I've said before. Yeah. I'm free to buy where I want to, but he never sells free enough to buy from himself. I'm free to live where I want to, and he thinks that means he has to live in a white neighborhood. You see? I'm free to do this, I'm free to do that. And each, and each expression of his freedom requires that he gives up to someone else. The white man doesn't want to live in your neighborhood, but yet he doesn't feel like that's an, in what? an infringement on his freedom. He doesn't buy from you, he doesn't feel that that's an infringement on his freedom. Doesn't live with you, doesn't feel that's an infringement on his freedom. Doesn't go to school with you, doesn't feel like that's an infringement on his freedom. You see, the Koreans the same way. In fact, they, they feel free as the further they can get away. You see, but only the Negro, in trying to express his freedom, feels compelled to impose himself and his money and his wealth and his talents and everything else on outsiders and other people. Yes, backwards, turned around. And to do it for himself, he feels bad. He feels guilty. He suffers from a guilty conscience. He feels irreligious. But it has to be that way if we are to be what? Suckered and robbed as a people. Yeah. And this is the name of the game. Fire, 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 fire,
abundance to everything done. No retreat, no surrender. The people must remember. We have to burn the fire on the evilest agenda. Now make me lose my temper. Get mad and burn the system down to ash them, blow the cinder. No surrender, no retreat We have to burn the fire till they roast like a meat They had us walk a dirty path It's time to cleanse our feet It's time we made our own beds And changed the sheets Let me see a lighter Let me see a lighter I'm a dangerous mind Michelle Pfeiffer I ride a chariot to fire like a lighter 360 degrees around around inside the cipher We bring the knowledge to set their slaves free Too long have I seen my people Pursuing the vanity They enslave us mentally Cause they fear the Rising fleet car. When we stand together We increase the heat Arrive with the fire and the flame Came to bring the whole game To a higher plane We bring the flames and the fire We give praise to Rastafari Cause there is no higher Don't overstand Let me draw a diagram I'm not Samba I'm the real bomber Clark fireman Yo Our tongues come like The language of the drums When they heed and hear the rhythm They feel the fear And start to run The witch The wizard, the snake, the lizard Next night he lightning, lick them down with lava Then a blizzard We strike them down with bars of lightning The sound of the thunder clouds And the wicked running frightened Keep the fire blazing, funny boy and Freemason Find a Freemason, then we build a free nation Free to be ourselves, they can't hurt us no more Free to be in peace with the balance of life restored Fire burn, fire, fire burn Nowhere if it can when the fire, fire burn Fire burn, fire, fire burn Hyper can't run when the fire, fire burn Fire burn, fire, fire burn Born in a Babylon, now me come for fire burn Fire burn, fire, fire burn Fire burn until everything done Fire burn, fire, fire burn Fire burn, fire, fire burn Fire burn, fire, fire burn Hyper can't run when the fire, fire burn All right, that concludes part two of our digitally remastered presentation from Dr. Amos Wilson in our IDEO Praxis series called Dr. Amos Wilson on Feel Good History. All right. This episode has featured music from, from Conscientization 101, Decolonize This, Properly Defining Settlers, Part 1. From our Musical Commentaries Collection, Wise Intelligent, Fuck You, from his album, The Blue Klux Klan. And Rackle Zulu Rebel, Fire Bun, featuring Nike's Natty Lightning from his album The Return of Ja Messenger. Links to future music are in our show notes. We also included links to Dr. Amos Wilson's books that are in the Conscientization 101 library as well. And don't forget, when you visit us at conscientization101.com or c101magazine.com, sign up to our mailing list for exclusive information and downloads. Hit up our store where you can download the free gift. Okay, now we got the link in here, but if you 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 don't you, you missed the link in here, you can always just go directly to the store and download the free gift. Uh, but you can hear all the tracks before we air them on this audio practice series, or you can just hear have all the tracks. All right, and when you're there, while you're there, pick up an unabridged interview 
or two or three or four or five or six, whatever you want to do, and pick up a shirt. Support 100% independent media, okay? Also, don't forget to check us out on Twitter at Conchian1, that's C-O-N-S-C-I-E-N-1, on Facebook at Conscientization101, and Instagram at C101Editors. Yo, thanks for listening. We will be back in two weeks with the conclusion of Dr. Amos Wilson on Feel Good History in our Audio Praxis Series. Hey, man, we out. 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 Conscientization. One.